Welcome to Trial Lawyer View, a podcast for and about trial lawyers. We will tell the stories about trial lawyers who go to battle every day in courtrooms throughout the United States for injury victims. This is about their stories and their practices. Hello, everyone. I'm Jason Lazarus, your host for Trial Lawyer View. Thank you for tuning in today for another episode. Trial Lawyer View is brought to you by Synergy Settlement Services. In full disclosure, I'm not a professional podcaster. Instead, my day job is Chief Executive Officer of Synergy Settlement Services. Synergy allows trial lawyers to focus on what they do best by handling the difficult issues that arise at settlement, like troublesome lien resolution issues, Medicare secondary payer compliance, government benefit preservation techniques, and complex settlement planning. Welcome to Trial Law Review. Joining me today is Michael Walrath. He is an incredibly talented attorney that specializes in hospital lien resolution issues. Uh, admittedly, he is the director of hospital and provider lien resolution for Synergy Settlement Services and heads up Synergy's medical bill clinic. Uh, I wanted to have him as a guest on the podcast, given his impressive background and experience in an area very relevant to trial lawyers. Before joining Synergy, he was the founder and managing partner of Medical Bill Clinic, Florida's only full service law firm dedicated exclusively to representing patients against overreaching medical providers. Mr. Walrath has dedicated his entire legal career to negotiating and litigating the reasonableness of medical bills. Prior to launching NBC, Mr. Walrath served as Florida Counsel to the Fairness Foundation and Indiana Not-for-Profit Organization, which assisted uninsured patients nationwide in resolving their unpaid hospital bills. He also served as in-house counsel to Olympus Managed Healthcare, Inc., the largest U.S. cost containment company, serving the international health insurance market. As such, he has litigated hundreds, if not thousands, of hospital accounts against dozens of hospitals and hospital systems in Florida, establishing him as one of the few plaintiff attorneys in the state and perhaps the country with a practice dedicated to litigating these specialized issues. He earned his undergraduate degree from the University of Maryland and his JD from the University of Baltimore School of Law. Michael, welcome to Trial Law Review. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. So before getting into all the law stuff, I know you live in a pretty hip area of Miami and I wanted to ask you what you love about that particular part of the city and living over there. Well, I, yes, I live in uh, I live in Wynwood, which is what's considered Miami's sort of urban or street art district, as compared to the design district or some of the more fancy uh, parts of town. This this area is primarily dedicated to street murals and a lot of different. Um, restaurants and, and interesting venues. So I do have the opportunity right outside my window as you see me looking out answering this question to to go to probably five breweries within two blocks. So I, I for me that's a bonus and uh and the art on top of that makes it a pretty special place to live. Yeah it's pretty awesome. I've I've walked through there uh went there with my kids who wanted to, you know, of course take pictures behind some of the more famous murals and it's uh it's actually a very very cool hip area uh, of Miami and uh, which I love Miami anyway so I'm, I'm with you uh, about uh, that whole area 
Uh, so I, I wanted to ask you, starting out, what got you interested in the practice of law and then what led you to such a small niche like hospital and provider liens? Well, uh, my my law career was a second career, so uh, this was somewhat of a panicked 30-year birthday decision where I decided to make a big change. I was up to that point since I was very young, 15 years old, started bartending in the Caribbean and ended up owning bars and restaurants in Baltimore and a couple of nightclubs. And on my 30th birthday, made the decision to do something a little more serious um, and believe it or not, less stressful. Uh, so so I, I ended up going to law school at that point and my first opportunity out of school, even though my only thought was that I didn't want to litigate, was of course litigation. And um, I ended up with the Fairness Foundation, which you mentioned, and began litigating against hospitals, um, basically challenging the reasonable value of their bills. And from there, I learned quite quickly that hospitals will cave uh, and, and do not like you poking around and, and, and putting up evidence of the reasonableness or unreasonableness of their bills. And from that point on, I've been, as you said, uh, dedicated 100% my entire legal career to litigating and negotiating the reasonable value of hospital bills and healthcare in general. And most of that time spent on the plaintiff's side uh, assisting injury victims that have large and what I would consider unreasonable hospital liens attached to their settlements. Uh, we've known each other a long time. I, I don't think I realized that you had went back to law school that late in life. That's uh, that's uh, that's interesting that that that's what led you there. But so, you know, I know uh, enough to be dangerous about hospital liens, and I know they're different. Some are created by state statutes. Some, like Florida, are county ordinance driven, and then some are contractual. What are the differences nationally? Because we have a national audience, and how does that impact resolution of of those types of liens. You're absolutely correct. Uh, it's a very, it's a very local phenomenon. Um, everything is local to, if, if we're talking statutory, it's state statutes, or as you said, in Florida, it's county ordinances. Uh, I believe somewhere around 40, maybe 45 of Florida's counties have lien ordinances. Others do not. Um, there's been a, quite a bit of, of flux in, in that area in Florida. And then nationally, states, some have them, some don't. So it's always a local application of the law. And then even beyond that, as, as, as you mentioned in the question, some liens are contractual. Those contractual liens are the law of those liens is that contract, right? So it, it's like a funnel and it gets down all the way to the specific facts of your case, the specific facts of a uh, language of a contractual lien the statutory provisions in your jurisdiction and the common law interpreting them because that differs by state as well. So I guess like all liens, you gotta, you gotta make sure you read and know your law and apply it appropriately. So are there certain states that are easier in terms of resolution of these types of liens or more difficult um, due to their particular laws? For, for sure, for sure, yes. There are states that are more or less likely to give you reductions in their bills. Um, usually that is because of the laws and the, the sort of environment that those liens live in. But also it could be a function of how unreasonable a given state's bills are. Um, and I'll get into what I mean by that in a moment. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Arizona, for example, comes top of mind to me because I struggle so much there. 
Um, Arizona has a scenario in which they have a commission that approves hospital charges, a legislative commission. Therefore, the Supreme Court of Arizona has held that hospital bills which comply with those approved rates are per se reasonable as a matter of law. Um, that does make it very difficult, if not impossible, to negotiate reasonable value in Arizona. And believe me, the hospital council in Arizona are really well honed on that issue. But it doesn't mean that you can't get reductions on Arizona hospital liens. You can. It just won't be through a reasonable value argument. If there's a limited settlement and there are equitable concerns, or if you can make this somewhat of a made whole argument, something along those lines, um, you have just as good a shot in Arizona as anywhere else. And if you find billing issues that are not related to the value, not related to the charge itself, but to the billing practices, you can attack those in Arizona as you can anywhere else, such as unbundling um, or billing for things that should not be billed for at all that are part of other services. Um, another example on the opposite extreme, but with a nuance, is California. It shouldn't surprise anyone that California has some pretty consumer-friendly law, and therefore their law on reasonable value is pretty good, uh, really good, actually. Surprisingly, to me at least, is California hospital liens expect a pretty high reimbursement rate, um, and they are challenging. I attribute it mostly to the economic environment, the fact that California is so developed that most hospitals have sophisticated vendors collecting their liens for them. And because of that, they make all these different arguments. They make it very difficult. And so California is challenging despite the really, really good law on reasonable value there. Um, another state that comes to mind is Maryland. Maryland, similar to Arizona, has a commission for different reasons, but Maryland has a commission that approves its hospital rates as well. And those rates uh, are, can't be challenged on reasonable value, just like Arizona. However, Maryland, and I can't explain this one, does tend to give pretty decent reductions, uh, even though their bills are already pretty reasonable. Maryland's a good example of a state where they have relatively reasonable bills already, and therefore, yeah, you can't get a real big reduction, but that's because you're already there, not because they have some gotcha in the law, which is the way I view Arizona. Um, we touched on Florida a couple of times already, probably because we're both here. The majority of my practice has been here. Uh, Florida has perhaps the deepest reductions available anywhere in the country. Um, I think that is a three-pronged uh, reason for that. I think, number one, there is very good case law here on reasonable value. I think the best case law in the country, but of course, perhaps that's because I'm so familiar with it and comfortable with it, but the law is very good on reasonable value here in Florida. Um, the other reason is the bills in Florida, the hospital charges themselves are the highest in the country. There is no place in the country that I've seen bills this high. So it's like the opposite of Maryland, the opposite effect, right? If you've got bills that are three times what they should be, you're going to get them reduced quite a bit if you get anywhere near the true reasonable value. If I were to get a hospital in Maryland to agree to the reasonable value as I calculated and a hospital in Florida to agree to the reasonable value as I calculated, those numbers would be the same, but the reductions would be quite different. So, so Florida is a, is a good example of a state with good law and really bad bills 
which equals out to very big reductions, at least in, in Synergy's experience and my experience prior to Synergy. Texas, yeah, another state that comes to mind. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jason. Do you have a follow-up there? No, I, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, having had a pretty major hospitalization after I was struck by a car while cycling, uh, I know firsthand how big those bills are. I mean, of course, what insurance actually paid was much less, but the, the gross-up of that bill, can, considering I was in ICU for nine days, was, that was, I think it was 350 plus thousand dollars in, yep. in bills that I racked up over three weeks. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, we see bills uh, excess of a million dollars pretty regularly around here. Um, and those obviously are the big trauma bills, but still um, they're massive. And thankfully they're able to be reduced. You mentioned the insurance rates. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, but I think that uh, it's a good it's a good thing to point out. I mean, the reality is nobody pays these full bill charges. The overwhelming majority of the patient population pays significantly less than this. And plaintiff's lawyers are, are some of the few folks that are asked to pay full bill charges. And, and, and I, I'll explain why I don't think we should be doing that. Um, so, so the other state I wanted to mention was Texas. Texas is an interesting example because it now has very good law. Uh, any of you Texas lawyers out there, listen to this carefully. If you don't already know it, you've got a fantastic Supreme Court case in Texas that basically tracks the law in Florida. It cited a couple of Florida cases in doing so. And it now does give you quite an argument against these hospitals' full bill charges. Um, the problem in Texas so far is that it's relatively new, and it seems like the hospitals there are sort of clinging to their bills and aren't really accustomed to reducing as deeply as I believe we can get them. We just need, uh, we need them to get pushed around a little bit with this law. So let's, uh, let's just hope that a few more cases come down citing that Supreme, that Supreme Court case and um, really develop the law there and, and result in better reductions. Uh, Virginia is a, an interesting case, uh, state to mention for a different reason. Virginia has two different statutes, depending on whether the hospital is public or private. One of those statutes is horrendous, and the other one's really, really, really good, probably the best, most plaintiff-friendly statute in the, in the country. So if you're a private hospital in Virginia, your liens are limited to $2,500, no matter what the size of the bill, just period, 2500 bucks. What that means is we've got tremendous leverage in negotiating the payment of that full bill. Doesn't I mean, you could, of course, just pay to $2,500 and have the patient walk away, but they're going to owe the remainder of that debt undiscounted, right? Um, if we use that statute as leverage and say, listen, you need to get awful reasonable, awful fast, or this patient's going to walk, the hospitals capitulate and we end up with, you know, reasonable debt and liens being resolved out of the settlement, which is fantastic. On the other hand, if it's a private, a public hospital in Virginia, what they call a Commonwealth hospital, the statute literally doesn't have any cap. Most statutes don't. That one I just mentioned is an anomaly. Um, but it also doesn't even limit the charges to reasonable charges like almost every state does. And the attorney general in Virginia, who is the ultimate say on negotiation of Commonwealth hospital liens, takes that to mean that there is no challenge to reasonableness in Virginia for a Commonwealth hospital lien. And the only reductions that they're comfortable negotiating are limited settlements where you're making more equitable kinds of arguments, 
We get great reductions on those. We get not so great reductions on reasonable value stuff for Commonwealth hospitals in Virginia. Um, so, so as you can see, it's all over the map. And, and then on, to make it even more confusing, there are eight states that have no statutory liens at all, no statutes, no ordinances. Those are Kentucky, Michigan, Mississippi, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, West Virginia, and Wyoming. In those states, they don't have a statutory lien. They could have a contractual lien. So kind of up to us to figure that out and to negotiate as best we can on the debt. It's crazy how much variability there is by a state on this particular um, topic. A good good reason for lawyers to reach out to Synergy and and make sure that they get the deepest possible discount they can. So let, let's talk a little bit about personal injury law firms and how they approach lien negotiation uh, with hospitals and what's wrong with those approaches and maybe answer the question, is there a better way to negotiate these liens? Sure. Um, the best way I can describe what currently happens out there with most personal injury firms is to call it a blind negotiation. Basically, the only information that most firms have when they negotiate these liens is two pieces of paper, the itemized bill and the hospital notice of lien. That's it. The hospital notice of lien just says the amount, doesn't give you anything to go on. The itemized bill basically just gives you the total amount as well, unless you do a forensic billing analysis of that bill, and most firms don't. Um, so, so if you're negotiating from just the full bill charge and seeking what I'll call a discount, in fact, I think you referred to it a moment ago as a discount, and I try so hard to encourage everyone, including myself, to eliminate that word from their vocabulary when it comes to hospital liens, and there's a good reason for that. Hospital liens, if you talk about a discount, it makes it sound as though you owe the full bill charges, and you don't. So we are most firms negotiate blindly down from a number that they don't even know. And that is uh, almost sure to end you up in a spot that is not as advantageous as it could be. So with regards to a better approach, I think since you don't owe full bill charges and under the law of almost every state, you only owe reasonable value, it's incumbent upon you to know what that reasonable value is. To negotiate a hospital lien without knowing the reasonable value is, is suspect, in my view, because how do you know what your target is? If your entire focus is getting a discount from this full bill charge, you're handing the entire narrative to the hospital. Instead, I like to define the reasonable value, what is it, then calculate it and negotiate up from there. And I call that inverting the argument. You'll hear a couple little mnemonics through my through my uh, talk here, which, which are things that I think are important because it's training you to use the right mindset. Inverting the argument is one of them. You want to always be identifying what you actually owe first and then negotiating up from there. Of course, there's value in paying even more than the reasonable value to get this resolved amicably so you don't have to adjudicate these liens because that's the worst case scenario for everybody. So you're going to pay more than the reasonable value, but you want to start there instead of starting at some number that the other side made up. I guarantee you that none of the attorneys listening to this podcast, when they're negotiating a personal injury settlement, start with the number that the defense said and try to negotiate up from there. They start at their number 
and negotiate down from there. I'm merely recommending we do the same thing with hospital liens. So I've, I've heard you many times talk about the difference between a lien and a debt. Why does that dichotomy matter? Uh, that's a good question. And I love that you use the word dichotomy there. If anybody's ever seen me speak before, they'll know that I always have a whole segment on the lean debt dichotomy. It's another thing that I've given a little name to because I think naming it is the first step in recognizing that it exists and then it's easier to learn about it. Um, the lean debt dichotomy is probably the biggest mistake that I see attorneys making when they negotiate these liens or I should say when they negotiate these bills because you don't know in the beginning whether it even is a lien and that's the point here. Um, the very first step in any of these negotiations should be determining whether this bill is a lien or a mere debt. And to, to back up and answer the question of what is the difference, it's really just a security interest. That's all it is. It's similar to a mortgage that attaches a home loan to a property. A lien is merely a security interest that attaches a hospital debt to a settlement. And if there is no such lien, no such security interest in that settlement, you don't have any obligation to protect that bill, that mere debt in trust. So all of your obligations, all of your ethical responsibilities, your legal and ethical exposure, whether you, whether it be through bar complaints or lawsuits for impairment, all of that turns on whether or not there's a lien or a debt. It turns on this lien debt dichotomy. And importantly, so do all of your negotiation strategies. Very similar to what I said about Virginia and that $2,500 cap. If a hospital doesn't have a lien against your settlement, suddenly you are in the driver's seat because you can always tell them they need to get reasonable in a hurry or else the patient's walking and not paying you anything. And in that case, nobody knows better than a hospital that an uninsured patient is uh, is, is not going to pay this bill. Uh, they, they don't have the money to pay Think about the bill you mentioned, Jason, a $300,000 bill. If somebody doesn't have health insurance, usually that's an indication, not always, but usually that they don't have a lot, uh, they don't perhaps have a job that provides it, or they don't have a lot of money to be able to afford it. Health insurance is expensive, as we all know. Um, and if they don't have those things, they're not paying that $300,000 bill. Therefore, this pile of money, this settlement is the only money in the world to that hospital. So using the walkaway argument oftentimes when you can, is important in order to know, you got to know if there's a lien or just a debt. So to be more accurate, when I've been saying hospital liens, really it's, it's a hospital bill until you determine, legally speaking, whether it is a lien versus a debt. Absolutely correct. It's another thing that I always try to train myself because we all do it, right? We all call them all hospital liens. Unfortunately, by doing that, plaintiff's lawyers get it in their head that every hospital bill is a lien, and that isn't true. Yeah, I, I sometimes make that mistake too when talking about Medicare because Medicare has, makes conditional payments. It's it's different than a lien, but you know, shorthandedly we always call right. it a Medicare lien. All right, so let's talk a little bit about notice because I I know that's always a question. Does a hospital have to put an attorney on notice if they have a lien versus a bill? Uh, it, that's a tougher question because of the words have to. Um, do they have to? Most ordinances in Florida and most statutes nationally uh, do have notice requirements. They will expressly say you must or you shall file this 
this notice of lien with the clerk of courts, you also shall put different people on notice and the different statutes lay out these perfection requirements. Um, the problem is, and the thing that makes it more tricky is the case law in most states who've adjudicated a dispute over perhaps a late filing or a hospital that failed to file at all, most of those cases hold that the lien itself attaches at a, as a matter of law to the settlement on the date of service, regardless of the filing and regardless of notice. However, not adhering to the notice requirements or the other perfection requirements in the statute will, in, will not invalidate the lien, it will instead just impact the priority. So in other words, a hospital can lose its place in line by filing late or by not filing at all, but there's still a lien. And if there is still a lien, there are still all the attendant responsibilities and exposures that go along with it. So it's, it's a tough question to answer whether they have to provide the notice um, because of this case law that is all over the map. So again, we're talking about a jurisdictional question, um, but many, many, many states and, and, and Florida is one of them, have held that the lien attaches on the date of service. And I would point out that we've mentioned a couple of times that there's also contractual liens in many jurisdictions that don't have statutory ones. Well, we all know there's no, there's no notice requirements in the, in the contract, right? I mean, no hospital writes a contract that give them a, a lien and then also says, by the way, this won't count unless I put someone on notice. They don't do that. So there are no notice requirements for contractual liens and all of this uh, uncertainty leads me to believe that the best practice is to simply ask every hospital who's treated your client with accident-related care whether or not they have a lien. And if they say yes, ask them for documentation of those lien rights, whether it be a filed statutory lien or a, a signed contractual one. All right, so I'm, I'm going to ask a dumb question for the benefit of uh, our listeners to hammer the point home about hospital bills, because I think you've sort of already said this, but again, when a hospital sends a bill or files a lien, isn't that the amount ultimately that the patient owes? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, I have talked about it before, but it's a good opportunity to go a little deeper. Most of the ordinances, if you actually pick them apart, there'll be somewhere in there that talks about the notice that they have to file. And what the, what the most of those ordinances will say or statutes will say is that the notice of lien is what the hospital claims to be due. Interesting language. Doesn't say that's what you owe. It says it's what their opinion is that you owe. And the reason for that is because most of those same statutes say that the lien itself is limited to reasonable charges. Now, the reason the lien's limited to reasonable charges is think about it. You all know your damages are limited to reasonable charges. As you've all dealt with the fact that defense counsel goes after bills all the time and says they're unreasonable. So what I believe has happened over the history of these, these statutes being developed and argued and hammered out is plaintiff's lawyers correctly said, we can't be responsible for more than we're allowed to get. If we're limited to getting reasonable charges as our damages, we have to be limited to paying reasonable charges as our liens. And so uh, that, that to me is, um, it means that no, the answer to your question is no, it's not a dumb question, but you don't owe whatever the hospital says you owe. It's similar to my inverting the argument conversation earlier. You, you owe the reasonable value 
Most of the statutes say you only owe reasonable charges. Most of the common law in most states says you only owe reasonable value if you haven't agreed to a price in advance anyway. And so you need to determine that reasonable value and not rely on what the hospital says you owe. That brings up a really good question, which is, since reasonable value is so important in most states, how does Synergy Health trial lawyers and law firms determine that reasonable value from which to negotiate? Well, as, as you can imagine, reasonable value is a pretty local question, right? Uh, it differs by jurisdiction. But one thing that I've seen, um, even though there's no magic definition of it, one thing that seems relatively common in the states that do have well-developed law on the topic is that cost of care is relevant to reasonable value. Now, to me, that makes a whole lot of sense in addition to being in the law. Maybe that's why it's so commonly cited in the law. Um, if, if, if a service costs you X dollars, the reasonable value of that service, again, to me, seems pretty likely to be the cost of the care plus a reasonable profit. Now, what is a reasonable profit? That is something to be debated with the hospital when you're negotiating the lien. But the cost of care, how much did it cost the hospital to treat the patient? That is a known commodity. And the reason that it is a known commodity is because every hospital in the country every year submits a document to the federal government, to Medicare, that's called a hospital cost report. That hospital cost report, it's a 200 page plus document. It's incredibly dense. I can't claim to be able to understand them myself in their native form, but we've accumulated all the data that is submitted by all these hospitals in the country. And what Synergy does is we access that data and we run any individual hospital bill against that hospital's cost ratios for every department. And we determine a pretty defensible estimate of how much it costs the hospital to treat your client. Once we know that, we now have a defined reasonable value. We know that it's cost of care plus reasonable profit, and we're free to debate that reasonable profit with the hospital. Um, what that does, it follows my mantra of inverting the argument and says, we're going to start here and we're going to negotiate up from the reasonable value. Every time they try to make some offer of some discount from full build charges, I convert that I translate that into my cost up methodology and say, well, actually, that's 800% above cost. That's a profit of $200,000. Like I use this methodology in my negotiation strategies and it works. So having done this for, for a long time, what are the top three biggest mistakes you see from the plaintiff's bar when resolving hospital bills and liens? Well, I think... I, I think we've already touched on probably all three of them, at least some. Number one, I would say, is the lien debt dichotomy. Understanding the difference between a lien and a debt, not automatically assuming you have a lien and giving away all the negotiation power to the hospital when really you had it all along because it was just a debt. That's a pretty big misstep. Um, number two is I, I see an awful lot of attorneys, or at least I get a lot of questions where people ask me, hey, listen, this hospital didn't put me on notice. I didn't know there was a lien until after I dispersed. So, I mean, what am I supposed to do? I'm, unfortunately, my only answer is you were supposed to make sure there wasn't a lien before you dispersed. Uh, because so, so relying on notice provisions, whether they be in, in ordinances or statutes or just an inherent belief that someone should have told you 
is very dangerous in my opinion. And I get an awful lot of questions that are unfortunately a little too late. Um, the, the third one, it's more semantics than anything, but again, I think it's important, is this idea of discounts and this idea of negotiating down from this made up number that you don't even owe to begin with. I, I think it's important to remember, if you're ever gonna train yourself to invert the argument, you first have to train yourself to stop calling these things discounts and instead, when someone's, when the hospital says, I'll tell you, it's funny, I had one just yesterday. The hospital, I, I calculated the reasonable value. I presented it to the hospital and the hospital said, you're asking for an 85% discount. I said, no, I'm not asking for an 85% discount. I'm willing to pay 100% of what this patient owes. I don't want any discount at all. I want to pay 100% of the reasonable value of this care. And that's all he owes under the law. You're asking for a 700% increase above that reasonable value. That doesn't magically make it a discount. So training yourself to have that mentality so that you can have that argument is probably the most important thing when it comes to reducing and resolving these hospital liens and bills. Are there two or three things that you could recommend to trial lawyers in terms of setting cases up for the best possible lien resolution outcome when they work with Synergy to resolve their hospital bills and liens? Yeah, um, I think, number one, the most important thing for plaintiff's firms to remember when they're contemplating using Synergy, not only for hospital liens for all, but for all of our lien resolution services, is to remember the double value that we offer. We not only offer this what I consider to be a deeper expertise in all the various lean categories. Remember, I only know one. I think, Jason, you know better than anybody. When anybody asks me a question about one of the other lean types, I'm like, whoa, I, I've successfully avoided that learning curve. And it's allowed me to get a deeper expertise in this one. Well, we have people just like me in every lean type, as you know, as many of our listeners know. So, so tapping that expertise does result in, across the board, better discounts on average. But the other value that I think it's important for people to remember is just the time value of, 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 of their staff and the reality that all the time that you spend on lien resolution is a sunk cost on your file. You've already been paid on that file. Your fee is already set. If you spend another 20 hours, you're just diluting the amount of money you made. By sending that work over to us, it frees your staff up to pursue cases that aren't settled yet, which actually makes you more money. So I think that's an important thing for folks to remember. Um, more practically speaking, I would say getting us cases early. It goes for all lien types, I know, um, and even for hospital liens. Although hospital liens or hospitals typically will not negotiate until a case settles, it's a pain, I get it. It's a, it's a catch-22 and it's intentional on their part, but they won't, so what do you wanna do? Uh, but we still wanna get the case early enough that we can have it set up, we can do our analysis, we can be ready to go when that case settles instead of having to do all that post-settlement. So getting us the cases early is probably a pretty pretty good one on that list. And then lastly, uh, there's many attorneys who understandably want to pre-negotiate prior to sending a, a hospital lien to us. I understand, um, and, and, and you're, of course, doing anything and everything you can for your client is part of your job. I just caution you that when you make an offer before you give us a bill, you need to understand we are not going to do better than that offer. I, again, just this week had one where an attorney offered $60,000 on a bill, thought it was, a you know, was, was happy with that and the hospital rejected it. Then they said, okay, I did my best. I'm sending it to Synergy. Well, I did the reasonable value analysis and the bill's only worth 20 grand. 
And now the attorney's going, well, so are you going to get it down around 20? I said, no. If I'm lucky, I'm going to get it at 60 because you already told them you were willing to pay 60. I can't, I don't have a magic wand. And so now if you want to litigate the bill, you want to go sue the hospital. Yeah, the litigation position would be 20, but in negotiations, you've set the floor at 60. So what I say as a rule of thumb, never offer more than 20%. 20% of the bill, just to elicit an offer from them, that makes sense. If you start getting in a back and forth negotiation, moving up and moving up, very good chance you're going you're gonna to kneecap us on, on, on what kind of reduction we can get. So those would be my three sort of top, top three. Some, some great suggestions and, and insights there. And two, you know, I mean, one of the things that we talk about is how Synergy's interests are aligned with maximizing the injury victim's recovery because Synergy's paid on a percentage of savings model capped at, at never greater than what uh, the client's net. So, you know, that means that ultimately our team is highly motivated because of our mission of protecting people, but also, you know, financially our interests are aligned because we're trying to get the, the biggest savings possible for that client so they have more to take care of themselves post settlement of the case. So, you know, there and most states do allow the attorney to pass the cost along to the client of the lien resolution. Uh, so, you know, a lot of good reasons why law firms choose to work with uh, Synergy when it comes to these types of issues. Yeah, I, I always think it's, you know, it, it's important for plaintiff's lawyers to know that our fee structure, as you said, is aligned with the patient. It's exactly like the lawyer's fee structure being aligned with the patient. It's the same reason for those things. Um, and yeah, it's it just makes sense all the way around, especially if we're getting better reductions than most firms are getting. So um, one last question, I'll, I'll leave it a little open-ended in case you wanna comment on anything that you haven't said so far. So as a, a hospital trial lawyer, hospital uh, debt trial lawyer or lien or bill or whatever you want to call it, what's your view since this is trial or review? Um, you can answer that however you want. If there's anything you haven't said thus far, or you want to reemphasize something, whatever you want to comment on as a, as a parting way to, to give a little bit more insight to our audience. Uh, I, I think my, my biggest view, my biggest takeaway on all this is that hospitals know that your investment in these post-settlement lien disputes is a sunk cost. They use that against you. And by offloading it to us, you level the playing field. You now are free to not deal with it, know that it's in good hands, and get the best discounts based on the best technology and knowledge that I know of in the industry. So I think the takeaway is um, Synergy does a good job for, for your clients. Our interests are all perfectly aligned. and. Uh, I can't usually come up with any good reasons not to use us in these situations. So, Michael, if um, somebody wants to get in touch with you, uh, having listened to this podcast and has questions, what's the best way to reach you? Well, I do try to keep myself completely open. Um, so there's no gatekeepers. You could call me directly. My direct line at my desk is 786-332-6855. You can email me directly anytime at mwalrath at synergysettlements.com. I do my best to respond to emails within a day or two. Um, certainly answer the phone if I'm not already on it. As you can imagine, like most of you, that's sometimes hit or miss, but, but I do my best there. Always happy to answer any questions. 
Um, since this is all I do, I, I rely on those questions. I, that, that's, that's what keeps me going. So please feel free just to call and talk through an issue. And of course, if you have any specific cases that you want to refer, and that's the only thing that you want to talk about, that we do have a direct line at the uh, corporate office of 877-242-0022, or you can call your, your, um, your local representative from Synergy and, and they can get you started on an intake. But substantive questions, just hit me up anytime. I'm happy to happy to talk to you. We'll include uh, Michael's uh, contact information in the show notes for today. And uh, I want to thank Michael for joining me today on Trial Lawyer Review. And we will see all of our listeners on the next episode. Thanks for, for tuning in today. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for tuning in to Trial Lawyer Review. You can find more at triallawyerreview.com and look for more episodes and more content coming in the future.